0: Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA. Paul Ecker, my usual co-host, is skipping the podcast this week. Time off for good behavior for him. In his place, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Min Mitchell, who is RFA's director for East Asia. How are you doing, Min? Welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm well. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. I'll do my best to fill the Paul Ecker chair.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm sure you will do that very well. There's lots of room there. Now, I will be turning once more to Myanmar, where the situation turned increasingly grave this week, with dozens of protesters killed as the military intensified its crackdown. But Min, I think you'll be focusing on the situation in Hong Kong, where there was no bloodshed this week, but the situation for pro-democrats is deteriorating rapidly.
1: Yes, sadly it is, Matt, but I'm very pleased to be joined later by Common, our reporter in Hong Kong, who will share with all of us her firsthand observations about the week-long bail hearings of the 47 pro-democracy activists being accused of subversion under the national security law and the increasingly difficult media environment she and her reporter
0: colleagues face these days. Matt. Okay, I've been reading a lot about that Hong Kong 47, so uh, I'll look forward to that. Right now, I'm going to transport you to Yangon. Until this past week, Myanmar's main city had escaped the worst of the violence inflicted on opponents of the military coup that was launched on February the 1st. That all changed in recent days, particularly on March the 3rd, as the military resorted to lethal and indiscriminate force against peaceful protesters. Video footage from RFA and other media outlets, and of course from brave citizen journalists, has shocked the world. We saw police beating ambulance workers, the cold-blooded execution of at least one protester, and security forces dragging the corpses of fallen protesters through ruined streets. To give me a taste of what life is now like in Yangon, I spoke with an RFA colleague who lives in that city. For safety reasons, we won't be naming him. At least 30 journalists have been arrested since the coup. When I called him, there were young people singing outside his apartment in what's become an evening ritual there. And he went out onto the street to record the song as we spoke. The song is an idealistic one We Are the World. So let's listen. Can you just describe to me the scene where you are now? Like how many people are there and and, and sort of where are you?
2: Uh, Actually, there are eight person, eight uh, young people. They are singing in front of the apartment of uh, residential areas. So do they do this every night? Yes, this is every night program for recreation uh, of the people here. Yeah, because uh, people, they, they are very scared and uh, at night, you know, as we are under the control of military. And uh, every night we have uh, community-based security. As soon as the military ceased uh, in February 1st, and uh, they just release all the prisoners, the criminal prisoners, you know? And they, they set their prisoners around the places, around their residential area, and people, they, they feel scared.
0: So with people singing, it helps them feel better, feel more together with each other?
2: Yeah, they get connected, they, they feel relaxed at that time, and uh, young people, they started to to take care for their residential area. Yeah, as I said, like a community-based security.
0: I mean, obviously it's a very difficult situation now, but you're saying that it's, it's kind of helped to build a sense of community where you live? Yes. Uh, do you want to go back upstairs? Yes. You just tell me when you're ready, okay?
2: Sure. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm just back.
0: So, I mean, you've described to me how people are, are feeling scared about the situation and that there have been prisoners released and causing trouble. Can you tell me a little bit more about what life has been like in Yangon, particularly in the past week where we've seen more and more violence?
2: So people, they, they dare not go to the supermarket. All the business go down. People, they are not going out. The electricity cut off very often. And also the banking system. Because of the internet access, the banking system doesn't work well, you know. How about the schools? Are the yeah.
0: schools open or shut?
2: They are closed because of the COVID-19. Yeah.
0: I see. So how are people managing to get food and all the things they need to survive?
2: Yeah, for their survival, although the shopping center, shopping mall, or uh, some of the SME uh, businesses are not running, nearby their residential area, normally we have a wet market, like an ordinary market. People, they can get the food and the other supplies. They can go in the morning, but when it's happened, like uh, a crackdown in the... Uh, residential area they they dare not go out and just check their situations if it is okay they just came out and just grab and go you know. You tell me
0: about what happened on March the 3rd this week which I understand was the bloodiest day yet in Yangon.
2: Yeah before the 3rd March uh, the first crackdown in Nebidov one lady she was killed by police and also the after Nebidov Mandalay City, this is, Mandalay is the central part of Myanmar, has the crackdown and many people were killed. But this is not like a huge number like in Yangon. In the 3rd March, we have more than 20 people were killed by the military and the police forces. Even one township, 20 people were killed, what we called North Okalapa. Mostly, the people in that area. they are like a uh, common people, you know,
0: so what what do people in Yangon feel now about the situation after seeing that the security forces are willing to kill so many people?
2: Uh, as far as we know that people, they will they are feeling unsafe for sure. Mm-hmm. and even in their home or in their residence, it is not safe because as we know that police and the military they came into their housing and beat or kill the people, you know? So they are very afraid of that police forces and the military forces, as well to the other people who is like an informer or somebody like this. They are informing to the police and the military forces.
0: Do you think that the protests are gonna continue or, or die down after what happened on March the 3rd?
2: As far as I see the people, their desire is they will continue definitely until the end of the military dictatorship.
0: Can you tell me about some of the the ways that people have found to show their opposition to the junta?
2: Actually, uh, people, they are showing opposition to their military in, in different ways. Like for, for example, like in Kaya State, bordering to Thailand, this is in our territory, we call it Kaya State. Yeah. The lady from Kaya State, they started to demonstrate with their brass bras here you know. Uh, it's kind of shaming, you know, of the military coup, for example, like this. And as well, in Yango, the lady, they started to show their opposition with uh, their underwears or their long jeans or something like that, you know. This is kind of to against the military coup, you know, because they don't have power and they don't have arms. They don't have the weapons to against the military. And they want to show their desire, their will, very peacefully, their desire to against the military. Yes.
0: How do they use their longis and their underwear? I mean, in what ways? Wow,
2: well, this is very symbolic. You know, in every house, they have women's, right? So right. the women, they they just collect the longis from every house. They make a robe. Overhead of the military tanks or the military tracks or the police tracks. They used to, you know, they just make overhead of the military and the police. Traditionally, under somebody going under their longee is this is unlucky or something like that, you know, people they feel they feel small or something like that. The following day, the police and the military they are trying to take them off from the streets. That means they are. It's affecting to them mentally, you know.
0: In your neighborhood, I mean, does everyone oppose the military? Or are there some people who support the military and the police?
2: In my neighborhood, majority of the people, they don't support the military. Even the military projects like uh, SIM card for the telecommunications or even the beer, Myanmar beer, for example. Every young people, every young generation, they they used to drink the beer. Now they just oppose the Myanmar beer or uh, military products, you know.
0: It's from a military run company, so they don't drink it anymore.
2: Yes. And uh, for example, the cigarette, the logo is Red Ruby. They don't smoke anymore. If somebody's smoke, uh, they used to be, you know, but they try to say, hey, no, this is from the military products, you know, and they are not supporting the military. So this is the signal in my community. In my neighborhood, exceptionally, there will be some maybe in the military quarters, maybe their family, their business related. There will be. But majority of the people in Yangon and my neighborhood, they are not supporting the military.
0: So what do regular people see as the way to resolve this crisis?
2: They are demanding to the military to restore the power back to their elected government. I mean, if the military are doing that, we can overcome the crisis. They are not loving, they don't have a feeling of only NLD will win. Not like that. They are feeling of ending the military only. This is the common enemy of the ethnic people, ethnic minority tribes, Mm -hmm. and the Burmese people, you know.
0: What's your expectation of what's going to happen? Um, from what you see, and you've been watching all these events very closely, and you can see what's happening around you in your neighborhood, what what do you think is going to happen?
2: We have many ethnicity in my country. So what they are talking about is they want to make the federal democratic country, decentralize the power. I mean, the freedom is not very far from the people. It is not very far from our future, you know.
0: People are still hopeful they can yeah. change things.
2: Yes, seriously, they are hoping and they have a strong desire and it is very close to our hands.
0: Maybe finally, I don't know if there's any particular thing that's happened, some incident that's happened in the past month, something you think is, you know, people would be interested to hear.
2: I have been many places in Yangon since the military seized the power and on February 1st, on 6th February. I have been to the place where we call Leiden, where their demonstrators came to the Janshin. It's very busy Janshin. At the beginning, the police, they make the barricades and they cover, they block the way. There are 200 protesters. Mostly they are Zhen generation. We call the Generation Z right here. They are leading the first row of the strike. Even though the police say no more crossing right here, But they try to do that. They try to cross that. That show how they are willing to to get their their freedom. And I started to interview with many people in the city, different ages, different levels, and different lives, you know. So what they want is, although we feel scared, but we will fight for our freedom. We will fight for our future. We will fight for our generation. That they say. They have an experience in their lifetime, like 1975, 1988, and 2007. We had many demonstrations against the military coup in our history. And they passed already in those times, and they still are in the strike. That show they still they will not give up for getting their freedom. They have nothing to, to defend, but they try to, they try to protest.
0: Clearly, a lot of people in Myanmar and in Yangon are very determined to keep protesting against the military. I want to thank you very much for telling me about your experiences and your observations.
1: Thank you. Thanks Matt and our colleague in Yangon. It's tragic to hear what's happening in Myanmar right now, but inspiring to see and hear just how determined people are to stand up and oppose the military takeover. Now we're going to turn to Hong Kong, another place in Asia that's fighting for its own democracy. What you just heard are the sounds of crowds outside the courthouse in Hong Kong cheering for the activists. Today, RFA's reporter in Hong Kong, Kamen Lao, who covered the hearings over last week, is here with us to talk with me about events behind the scenes. Kamen joined RFA's Hong Kong bureau before the mass protest against the anti-extradition law broke out in the summer of 2019. Kamen was on the street with other RFA reporters for months covering the protests. She witnessed the protests as they met police violence, experienced the tear gas herself, right through passage of the national security law in Hong Kong last June. Kamen and the entire RFA Hong Kong team received a David Berg Journalism Award by the U.S. Agency of Global Media in 2020 for their courageous reporting. Comment, thank you for making time for the podcast today. I know you just wrapped up a very intense week there. Can you first tell us what happened on February 28th to these 47 activists?
3: Thanks, mean. I will try to summarize what happened earlier this week. And on February 28th, 47 of Hong Kong's high-profile Democrats were charged with conspiracy to commit subversion for their participation in a pro-democracy primaries held earlier in 2020. Despite the cancellation of the 2020 legislative election due to the pandemic, the Democrats are still accused for violating the national security law. And on March 4th, following a marathon, during that scratch across 4 days judges Victor Shaw granted bail to 15 of the accused but the decision was immediately appealed by the department of justice as a result all 47 defendants still remained in custody then four of them were granted release after the DOJ dropped appeal while the 11
1: others were still in custody yeah, so uh, you said some of them got bailed. From this point on, what is the process for the other defendants?
3: Those accused are definitely facing an uphill legal battle. Those who were originally granted bail will be brought back to the High Court within 48 hours, except for the seven defendants who refused bail. All remaining defendants will attend court again on March 12th to challenge their denials of bail. If unsuccessful, the group may have to remain in custody for at least three months until the next hearing in the case of May 31st, unless they seek bail in the high court. Those found guilty will face a minimum penalty of 10 years in jail, while the maximum term
1: will be sentenced to life. So this is a very high-profile case, not only just in Hong Kong, but the whole world is watching. For the bail hearing, you were there for five days, along with other reporters. However, the judge wrote that none of the court proceedings and defendants' arguments could be reported. Is it controversial in Hong Kong? Yes, it is controversial.
3: And according to the Hong Kong legislation, Section 9P of the Criminal Procedure Ordinance, the media cannot report any of the bail proceedings, including the details of of any such bail condition. We can only reveal the names of the defendants, judges, counsel, and solicitors, and what the defendants were charged with. And we also tried to ask the judge, Victor Soul, to ease the restriction, but failed, and he said it is to protect the defendants. But some argue the purpose of such restriction is to avoid the public's attention on the case, especially for those international media, as it is related to Hong Kong democratic future. So uh, under the restriction, we can only report the things that it is irrelevant to the bail proceedings, like the expressions and reaction of the defendants. So uh, we could only drop the notes ourselves to keep record.
1: So from what you can tell, uh, seeing the defendants in the court How have they been holding up, and do you have any sense of conditions within the detention center? Yeah, the conditions within the detention
3: center remain unclear. What we do know is that some defendants were denied access to lawyers. Relatives of the accused were not allowed to attend the hearing. Families could only watch the legal proceedings through video conferencing, On some occasions, the defendants were even forced to skip their meals, and some defendants also complained that they had not been given time to shower for a few days, nor could they change their clothes. A couple of the accused fell sick after the prolonged trial and were
1: rushed to the hospitals. This is really hard to hear. I know you cannot talk about what you heard inside the courtroom, but outside the courtroom, you have also witnessed thrones of Hong Kong citizens who gathered to show their support for the, the detainees. Can you share a few things that are most memorable to you?
3: Uh, I spent a lot of time outside the court. Hundreds of supporters and relatives quit outside the court every day. I remembered a woman gave our umbrellas to those people standing outside, but were stopped by the police. And another example, a female violinist was seen playing a famous Hong Kong band song outside the court to encourage her fellow Hong Kongers to keep fighting. However, the performance was interpreted by the police and we tried to invite her for an interview, but she declined, claiming to be late for work. It is now risky for Hong
1: Kongers to be interviewed or being seen publicly in Protests. I also saw from your reporting comment that uh, you spoke about this female violinist. Were supporters singing the song Glory to Hong Kong outside the courtroom? Let me just play a little bit here. This song was written during the 2019 protest and carries so much emotion whenever it's sung in public gatherings there. How are the atmosphere out there right now coming? It has been rather touching outside the court
3: these days. I remembered on the last day of trial, supporters outside the court were all very eager to get the results. They took out their mobile to wave us torches and sent "Gory uh, to Hong Kong together. It. it was emotional for some of them as the officials have banned all forms of assembly due to the pandemic and they rarely had the chance to hear it. The supporters chased after prison fans every night to show their support to the defendants. And remind them that they are not alone. So the atmosphere outside is really touching.
1: Yeah, I imagine it cannot be easy for you as a reporter in a Hong or How are you and other Hong Kong reporters able to do your job nowadays?
3: To be honest, I think it's rather difficult to be a reporter nowadays in Hong Kong. We are afraid that the media might become the next target after the trial especially after the recent changes in RTHK that may bring stricter editorial control. Also, under the national security law, it became more risky for reporters to do their job. Despite the difficulties, we will still hold on to our ethics as reporters and strive on. Maybe uh, do the best and just
1: prepare for the worst. Completely agree. Good reporting is essential there right now to keep a light shining on the continuing struggle for the Hong Kong people. Thank you so much, Carmen, for what you do for us every day at RFA. Please stay safe and thanks for taking time to share your thoughts today.
0: Thanks, Min and Carmen. It seems that the pressure on pro Democrats is growing intolerable in Hong Kong these days. You know, for years as a journalist, I'd use the term semi-autonomous to describe Hong Kong, but that kind of seems like a quaint relic now.
1: Yes, Matt, there's little question over who caused the shots in Hong Kong now. Just since my conversation with Carmen on the 5th, Beijing tightened its grip on the city with more changes to the electoral system that will further exclude liberal voices. It is difficult to watch. But like the Myanmar people, Hong Kongers are resilient. I would never count them out.
0: Yeah, I saw that report that only patriots will be able to be elected to the legislative assembly. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Anyway, please join us again next week. Until then, you can read RFA coverage on our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are at that site or on other platforms like Spotify and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you've got any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Matt Pennington with Min Mitchell at Radio Free Asia. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.